Hello and welcome to Big Fish Little Pond. My name is Glenn Manton and on the other side of the microphone, age journalist, Anthony Colangelo. Hello, Glenn. I almost sneezed at the start there. Sorry. A sneeze is a good thing. It means you're clearing that congestion within your facial cavity and you're preparing yourself for some insightful discussion. Someone once told me that sneezing is a sign that your illness is going away because it's the sign of you getting things out. I don't know if that... Do you feel ill? No, I don't. The idea of this podcast creeping up on your week... No, I didn't sneeze. Oh, so you're fine? Yeah. I'll tell you what I'm not fine with. Yeah. I had to park some distance <laughs> away from the age here tonight. Where'd you park? Uh, just in a, an adjoining street, really not that far. A short walk, really. But I was passed by a mobility scooter... Now, I'm estimating that that mobility scooter was travelling in excess of 40 kilometres an hour. I'm not sure if they had nitrous or not, but I'm just wondering, have you got a thought on mobility scooters and the limitation of uh, the speed that they should be at? Was it on the footpath? It was on the footpath. Did you say during the week there was a bloke who went on his scooter on the Tullamarine Freeway? No, I didn't. And there's video footage of it. It's- I knew the Kenyan... Uh, Olympic team, if not the, sorry, the Commonwealth Games team ran on the Tullamarine Freeway because they were based at Parkville and they thought that, that was did perfect. They, really? they did. They thought that was the perfect running when track. When did that happen? Well, back when we hold, held the Commonwealth 06. Games. Yeah, back in the day. Ah, that's awesome. Back in the day, 2006. Goodness me. Good on yeah, they were, they were just pulled over by the police who said, <laughs> this is not a running track. You can't do laps up and down the freeway here. Uh, tell me, this man or woman was on the, uh, on the Tuller? Yeah, so and a bloke or a woman in their car just got the phone out and was filming it because it was like he, he or she, I think it was a bloke, was holding up traffic. It's brilliant. I'm not sure. It'd be great if you were old. Like you get away with stuff like that. If That's I was to do, fantastic. if I was to do that now, you know, at age 27 or you at age whatever you are, 40 something, I guess. 28. 28. Um, we'd be we'd probably be arrested. Well, you would be. Yeah. I could probably plead some sort of head knock insanity and actually, you've got get a, away with it. You've got a new. This is actually. This it's is really not a new haircut. You've appeared the second week in a row with a different hairstyle. Well, that's nothing unusual for me What's whatsoever. Going no, I think it is because how long have we been doing this for? Maybe about a year. Like too long. Yeah, you have only had one hairstyle that is an absolute oversight on your behalf it's not and the reason why our friendship does not grow beyond this <laughs> no. podcast so why have you had two different hairstyles in two weeks it really isn't sorry haircuts a different hairstyle or haircut I like to have my hair cut regularly in fact if I was particularly wealthy the two things that I would love to have every single day are a massage sure love to have a massage and if I could have any sort of massage I'd just go for feet and hands Okay. Absolutely love that. And I'd love to get my hair cut every day is carrying on a little bit, getting a little bit too excited. That's but great. once a week to get your hair cut, I just love that feeling of walking out of the uh, hairdressers, the barber shop, feeling fresh. No, I had a day off today and I went to uh, barber, my, my mate Joe in Footscray, and he cleaned up the beard. No greets. Feels amazing. Oh, that's, cl- that's cleaned yeah, up yeah, what yeah. Joe's done. It's Brilliant. perfect. Yeah, well, Wait, just podcast, a, the perfect visual medium. Just one more thing. Uh, you said a foot and hand massage. What, uh, like remedial, Thai, uh, hot stone, Chinese, like what kind? Well, first and foremost, I'm absolutely amazed at your depth of knowledge when it comes to massage. 
you gave me a little bit of a wink there too, so you weren't no. game enough to say and the happy ending. No, I don't know what that is. I actually heard a story recently, a, quite a genuine story about a young man who received a happy ending recently, but genuinely had no idea what he was in for. Went back for it a second time, <laughs> mind you, but he didn't have any idea the first time around. I thought that was rather cute. Great uh, song called Happy Ending by Alex Cameron for anyone who's interested. And if you're listening to, to this podcast, they're the little tidbits that you just absolutely love. Uh, I just love that that really hardcore, quite aggressive sports, deep tissue type massage. Yep. And that extends to my hands and feet. Really enjoy it. And look, anyone who's massaging, well, to be quite honest, both my hands or my feet, really does deserve you know mm. triple pay. I agree. Don't want to be touching. Oh, you you pretending that your feet are some sort of work of art? Uh, I probably haven't been through the ringer as much as what yours. That is have, true. Given your that is true. Career. Getting back to the uh, mobility scooter, <laughs> as you would. Uh, what sort of speed limit do you think should be placed on a mobility scooter uh, around the streets of Melbourne? I mean, traffic can only go at forty uh, kilometres an hour in parts. I wouldn't say that you would need a mobility scooter to go any faster than. Six kilometres per hour. Well, this thing was absolutely flying. flying. Or maybe it was a Fast and the Furious nitrous. It was driven or ridden by an old lady who was definitely of Italian or Greek descent. And I'm guessing she's from the northern suburbs and her you know, sons, her brothers, her cousins have, have tweaked this thing. Because I tell you what, it was absolutely yeah. flying. She's a long way from home. She must have a lot of petrol in that thing. Well, I don't. They're, they're, around, they're petrol, running off electricity. They, they're electric. Yeah, yeah well, it's a lot around. of double D batteries. Yeah. Point is, I did not abuse her. I didn't raise my voice. Well, why I would didn't you? get angry. Well, she nearly took me out. Yeah, well, watch, where, was, watch where you're going. I was watching where <laughs> I was going. She was absolutely flying. Not one bit of abuse, but that can't be said for, for old mate. Oh God. Do you like what I've done here? <laughs> You like what I've done here? You Old said mate. before the episode I got an amazing segue. There you go. And that Daisy is... Thomas, floor's yours. I've seeded it. Uh, okay. Well, do you want to explain the segue? Because we're talking, oh, I didn't abuse from... the old lady, but Daisy Dale Thomas, who plays for Carlton, abused a boundary umpire. He said, you are an effing cheat. Whew. And he got sent straight to the tribunal. Straight to the tribunal. Fined $7,500. <laughs> For that? Wow. What do you... And then the reason why it's interesting is because last week, Dane Rampey got fined, not by the tribunal, but by the AFL, I think $10,000 for calling an umpire a little girl or saying, you speak like a little girl. I think the little girl comment is fairly inane and, and really probably not worthy of greater discussion i think it was just a, a, you don't a think it's well of i think it was, was do you think it was a tongue-in-cheek sort of comment yeah but no, i'm not suggesting that it's appropriate but do we really need to blow that out of all proportion maybe that's just something for yeah. the umpire and the player just to have a quiet this just before i go any further this is to me the problem the umpires and the players aren't holding dialogue like they once did they aren't having that ability to communicate. I would have thought the umpire might have just pulled that player aside, either in the moment or afterwards, and just say, listen, just ease up on that one. And the player might have said, hey, yeah, you're right. That was, it was a pretty foolish comment. I'm sorry. I think in both of these cases, that's how it could have been dealt with. Well, I don't know about the, the Daisy Thomas one, because the word cheat, uh, 
it is quite unsavoury, and I'm a huge fan of the umpires. I really am. I've banged on about them ad nauseum on this podcast and talked about their athletic ability plus their ability to try and manage the unmanageable. Mm. To call someone a cheat, I, I'm not a huge fan of that. Is it worthy of a $7,500 penalty? I'm not sure yeah, about that. No, it's not. I, I reckon... I think in the first instance, it can you just nip it in the bud by the umpire going to Dale Thomas at quarter time after the game saying, hey, mate, we heard you said this, not on, do it again, and you'll be reported. Look, I, I don't even think that, to be quite honest, is the solution because there's no real punishment there. There's real, no rec- recognition. Oh, so, no, 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 hold on. You're talking about AFL football, MCG. Marvel Stadium, whatever arena it happens to be, these places are absolutely, they're completely and utterly overrun with whiteboards. So why not have Dale Thomas after the game have to go to the whiteboard and just write, I will not abuse an umpire 500 times. Okay. That would get the message all right. across. If that's what you think needs to happen, then... Wouldn't that be great? God, you'd Wouldn't be... everyone love watching Dale Thomas write, I will not abuse an umpire 500 times. AFL would be an incredible world if you had any oversight into well, that would be, any, any you're of telling the game. Me, in all seriousness, that would be entertaining, social media fodder, meme fodder. Dale Thomas would absolutely have massive fatigue, if not some sort of carpal tunnel syndrome developing as a result of it. So the physical uh, punishment is there as well. I mean, he could do it whilst wearing a chicken suit if you really wanted to up the ante. I think the punishment for him is that he plays with Carlton. Well, let's just touch on that for a moment after your brilliant segue. What are your thoughts there? Sack the coach uh, at this point in time, or yeah, the thoughts of my thoughts on that are the same as are the same as they have been for probably a year. So probably the same as what they were at this time last year, or maybe. Maybe a bit later than this time last year because I think Carlton started okay last year. But Bolton is just so clearly not the right coach for Carlton. Carlton's recruiting has so clearly been inadequate. Well, they seem to have a bit of a chasm between 22 and 28. Yep. So the role modelling there for people who need role modelling, despite how good they are, like a Crips, uh, it just it isn't there. The decision to get Robert Walls back, I'm not saying he's been a negative impact, but I'm just saying, I'm saying what is that achieving? It just shows that... What's his actual role? He mentors the coaches, I think. He doesn't... He lives... I think he lives in Queensland, so he just kind of... Well, and I think he's doing it for free. And he'll just fly down every now and then, be able to be called. And I know it's kind of harmless, and I know it's not costing Carlton any money, but it's just kind of... It's just the old, bored, useless way of thinking that just says so much about the way that club is going at the moment. And I can see that you really want to say something. The word free came out of your mouth? Mm. You go nowhere in this life working for free or employing people mm. 
or having people in your space who are there for free unless it is an absolute mate of mates and you, you've worked something out and it's a you know it's this podcast where no one's getting paid otherwise in a professional environment it is a recipe for disaster and I can happily share with you that I had a person approach me from the AFL world recently and suggest that I come and work for free in their space and I just said that will not be happening it is ridiculous you pay peanuts you get monkeys it's completely ridiculous what's the incentive i mean there needs but not what's even Robert that Wall's it's just, ability in 2019 either. well that's what i'm saying it's just it's this mentality that carlton have of going back to people who are club legends or club icons and thinking that'll fix the problem it won't and Brendan Bolton's not going to be able to fix that problem. And I think the next four weeks are big. I think the next four weeks, it's St Kilda this week. Then it is uh, Essendon. Then it's Brisbane. And then it is Western Bulldogs. So if you're if you're a middle-of-the-road team, which is where Carlton should be at the moment, those games are winnable. Absolutely. But you'd but, hazard a guess that they won't be won. Well, they're not going to beat St Kilda. St. Kilda were terrible against Collingwood in the last quarter, but they did well for three quarters, same mm-hmm. way Carlton did. For Essendon, you actually, the way that that rivalry's gone, you could say that Carlton True. <laughs> might beat Essendon, but I don't think they're going to beat Brisbane, mm-hmm. and they won't beat the Western Bulldogs. Well, the interesting thing about those four games is each of them is significant in terms of Carlton and their development. You know, Carlton v Brisbane. Mm-hmm. How has Brisbane developed versus Carlton? Essendon versus Carlton. Now, as you rightly pointed out, that's an emotionally charged game. How will Carlton play in that game? Will they burst out of the gate and then fall towards the latter stages of the game over the hurdle only not to cross the finish line? Or will they rally late and maybe have a surge? Either way, that's not really great football, is it? You'd like to see a linear, consistent approach where they're being methodical and just moving from point A to B to C. So realistically, those four games that you've raised there as the next four weeks, they are the perfect barometer for where Carlton's at. And you, funnily enough, mentioned Brisbane as a comparison. Brisbane also started their rebuild two seasons ago. So Brisbane and Carlton started a rebuild at the exact same time. Brisbane are now fourth on the ladder, and they look to be good enough of making the playing finals this year. Their young players have developed. They've, the, and the biggest thing, more, more than their young players, but what's bigger for me and shows that they're on the right track is that they've been able to attract big trade targets when they previously weren't a destination club. So they've attracted Hodge, they've attracted Lockie Neal, and they've attracted uh, Charlie Cameron from Adelaide. Like why Carlton would never have been in the conversation for those three players. It's two inter- seasons ago, the list, like they were both starting a rebuild. So you would say, well, yeah, there's no reason why Carlton couldn't attract those players, but they haven't because they're just not an attractive club to go to and they're not developing in the right manner. Despite my constant want to limit the AFL effect in my life and and make sure that I have a well-rounded life, you do hear stories, you do hear rumours, you do have conversations literally daily about AFL football. And in terms of the Brisbane Lions, I've heard plenty of comment about their coach and not one comment of a negative variety. Yeah. Not one. Yeah. Not one comment. They, they they really like him, don't they? Well, what have you heard about? the po- What positive things have you heard about Chris Fagan? 
I've heard he's affable. Yep. I've heard that he is uh, authentic. Mm-hmm. I've heard that he is open to discussion. Uh, I heard that he's very much culturally based, so he wants to build a culture, he wants to build uh, an intrinsic network of understanding amongst his players, his staff, the club. And when you think about it, and, and you painted a very clear picture, but when you really think about it, let's just put ourselves at the age of 20, 22, 24, and we're good footballers. We, we wouldn't even have to call ourselves uh, the best footballers, but good footballers. The idea of being given a contract, uh, and I'm not sure in 2019-20 what the average contract is, but let's just call it $250,000 for a, a very good player, a good to very good player. It's about three fifty. Three fifty. You can pick up three hundred and fifty grand thousand dollars a year to go and play football in Queensland, mm. where the weather is predominantly pretty damn good, mm. where you can get down to a beach, where you can be uh, under the guidance and the mentorship of a, a coaching panel, let alone head coach, who appear to want to build something special, if not for the sake of history for nostalgic purposes, because mm. they've got a great history. Yeah. They've been an extraordinary club. Mm. And this is the thing that probably breaks my heart the most about Carlton, is that there really doesn't seem to be a nod to history, to that connectivity, to the past and nostalgia, whilst blending it with the future to build some sort of real family uh, structure, if you like, around a team that I think really needs it. Young people need to feel like they've got a nest that they're helping feather that nest, grow that nest, build it appropriately according to their means, their abilities. And for me, that is the greatest issue that exists at the Carlton Football Club. It's cultural. I agree with that. You're saying the link to the history. But there are, just to play devil's advocate and to tease it out because it's something that people will probably think of, you've got... Stephen Silvani there. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm interrupting you. I'm sorry. I'm not talking about history in terms of bringing... You made that point again very well earlier about bringing people back for the sake of it. I'm talking about making anyone who's associated with the Carlton Football Club make it feel like this is of great importance to them and they were of great importance to the club. One game, 100 games. Male, female, old, young. This is your club. We work together. We value you. And in terms of what you were alluding to, Mr. Colangelo, that is bringing in different people who have been associated with the Carlton Football Club. The Carlton Football Club, like any other business, like any other institution, school, university, should look to interview, discuss, ask questions of all sorts of candidates before settling on the best and most complementary candidate to the existing framework and team before moving forward and that might mean thinking outside the square or going in a different direction rather than relying on an alumni which at times I think is institutionalised and not capable of making the right decisions. And that's what Brisbane did. They thought outside the square or the box, whatever you want to call it, because Luke Hodge had retired. He had. I think it was pretty widely accepted that he wouldn't be able to, what's the word, contribute in a um, in a footy sense. He has, but they've got him, and he has, and he's. But what he's contrib- contributing most is to the culture of that club, is to teaching the young players how to be an AFL footballer. So that, that was out of the box. Can I just interrupt you? Just on Luke Hodge, what do you... Forget about his 
skills, what do you think about his football personality? Not his off-field personality, mm. his football personality. What, what do you see in a Luke Hodge? Uh, you see someone... He's one of those players that when he's on the field, you see all the other players immediately around him instantly more comfortable, more sure of themselves. So he's directional? He's directional and he's, a, he's not a calming presence, but he is... Well, he's what a leader should he's be. He's a positive. Yeah, he's a positive influence on the field. Do you think, see him as being selfish? No. Neither do I. Do you think he makes it about himself at any time on the field? Uh, Forget about the light and easy ads. He has occasionally, with his, his ability to lash out physically and sometimes be suspended. That's an interesting comment. But other than that, no. I am pushing you down this path because I, I, I do admire Luke Hodge and I do really like him as a player. But the thing that I love about him as a player is that I feel like when he steps onto the field in any position, he's very complimentary. He's able to take a big role, a small role. He's able to say, look, today I'm going to focus on my marking or today it's going to be an opportunity to work with my body to assist teammates. And for mine, I personally would rather draft or involve three Luke Hodge types in my team than you know the flashy ball winner, this sort of person. Because I think long-term value, it's a bit, a bit like a Kennedy from West Coast Eagles. I watched some of you'd be proud of me. I watched some of the game on the weekend and I just saw Josh Kennedy doing the same things I've always seen him do and that is compete, be robust and and just be efficient and and to me yes he's a he's a well I wouldn't call him a flashy full forward but he's a full forward but I just see him as such a consistent player who has extreme ability but doesn't make it about himself. I agree. I agree with that. And the other thing, just circling back to how we started on this, talking about what Brisbane have done differently to bring people from the, in from the outside was appointing Chris Fagan. Mm. So he was he's older, so they bucked the trend. All the trending coaches, this is what Carlton went for, were a young, was a younger coach. Teacher. And a teacher type. Chris Fagan is that, but he's not young. And he wasn't an assistant coach directly before becoming a coach. He was head of football at Hawthorne, and I think he'd had some development roles, and he hadn't been an assistant coach for quite a while. Well, a couple But it's worked. Of, absolutely. A couple of points here. A coach in 2019-20 is more of a manager than a coach. Let's consider that point for a start. And secondly, and this is a space where I will get up on my soapbox and I will say that I'm more than equipped to give this particular judgment, just because you're a teacher does not mean you can teach. Mm. I see it every single day. I'm in schools tomorrow, the day after, the day after, the day after, leading into the weekend. Every single day I'm in a school, there are good teachers and there are not so good teachers. And then there are those who just outright stink. And just putting the word teacher into your bio or your CV does not mean that you have ability to connect, convey a message, hold an audience, tell a story. There's a breadth of abilities that a teacher needs to have in order to be considered a good teacher. What about a good journalist? A lot of journalists are weighing in at the moment and Mr. Corns is one of them. Uh, Kane Corns. So Paddy Dangerfield went off injured late in Geelong's win over Western Bulldogs and he was hobbling around on crutches. 
after the match. He could still play this week. He's got an injured ankle. And Chris Scott in the press conference was asked, Chris Scott, the Geelong coach, was asked, oh, what's wrong with Paddy? And Chris Scott kind of made a flipping comment, a bit of a joke. Uh, you know, the crutches are just all part of the Paddy Dangerfield show. Take it how you will, but it was a, flip, it was a flipping comment. I think Kane Corns saw that as a bit more serious, and he thinks Chris Scott was suggesting that Paddy can make a bit more of injuries than what they're worth. So Kane Corns had a go, said there were people at Adelaide who, used to, who thought he would do that. Pointed to another, some other examples where he'd been injured in games and then come back on and played well. I thought it was, I don't know, like I just thought, and Paddy Dangerfield came out and said it was, and was pretty angry with the comment. And you don't usually see him that angry, but I just thought, and I know Kane's played the game, he was a very good player, so he'd be a good judge of these things, but I don't know what the point of him saying that is when he doesn't have definitive proof that Dangerfield didn't need to be on crutches. I think the point is very, very obvious. And that is, like American sports, we are being funneled into the position of hot take artists Mm -hmm. where people are just looking to hijack Instagram, hijack one minute of a a segment of a program, whether it's a news segment, whether it's a, a sporting segment in terms of programming, and trying to flash their name on the screen. And that's essentially what it's all about. The two of us could sit here right now Uh, and throw all sorts of hot takes out there regarding AFL football, uh, let alone mobility scooters. Kane's good at that, but he's also good at giving what I would call proper, insightful analysis. Who do you see as the most insightful? Name one. You've got to name one. (laughs) Name one journo in the football space. Could be television-based, newspaper-based, print-based, even radio-based. Past, present. Who, Who do you really look to and think, you know what, I think... They play the, their own character well. They're accurate. They're fair. They're interesting. They're, they've just got a decent package together. As a journo, I'm I'm really. If you say yourself, no, it's not myself. But like, I'm biased. I I think <laughs> like I'm going to give three names. And they all I'll work with them. Go for it. Uh, and I genuinely believe this. And I genuinely think that. There aren't a lot of journalists that do it well, and I don't. I don't. Do really... you need a drum roll? No, sorry. So I'd say Caro, Michael Gleason, and Jake Nile. So our listeners to Big Fish Little Pond straight away, if they know nothing about football or otherwise, will have an opinion on Caroline Wilson. You're telling me everyone else's opinion aside, your view, your vision, your opinion of her is that she is very, very good at her job, and nine out of ten times she's on the money. Correct. That's a fair appraisal. The other two journos were? Michael Gleason and Jake Nile. They've all got different skills. Well, so. Jake Nile's been around since the dawn of time, <laughs> and he's got a great reputation as being old school and fair and reasonable. Yeah. And I think I've dealt with Jake myself many times, and I, I think he's an outstanding person. What have alone. you dealt on, Jake? Just, he's one of those journos who, back in the day, might contact you for a comment, and you might say X, Y, and Z, and then realise, hmm, probably shouldn't have said Y and Z, and say, look, can you just make sure that that does not reach the page? And it never did. It never did. Never went any further. That's the sort of journalist who I think has great uh, repute 
for his work. I reckon if that was Caro, she would she that would go the other way. She'd say, "Bad luck, you said it." I'm going to report it. Thankfully, I rarely put my foot in my mouth in that regards, but I'm just talking even just in an off-the-cuff sort of sense, even if in terms of tone or anything like that. He's just just the sort of person who you could imagine back in the day people would have said, look, if we're going to share a story with someone, because there's all sorts of stories to share, uh, we'll share it with Jake. Uh, Let me throw a name at you and see what your opinion is. I know him personally, so it does influence my decision, but I must admit the character that he's portrayed uh, on television as, I think is a fair reflection of him as a person, and I do think he's pretty fair. Matthew Lloyd. Yeah. I think he's good. I think he's very fair. If, if, If there was one... Like, a lot of the time, the former players aren't very good, and they can go down a path of... Like, like the Cane Corns path. But Matthew Lloyd is one of the ones that when I hear him talking and I watch him a lot on Footy Classified, you listen to what he says. Because it's fair. He's, he's got a good mix of old school yes. and he understands the new way of doing things. I would like to see him just host his own show for half an hour. Okay. Because I think it would be a much better uh, insight into his thinkings of the world of football and I think he, he mightn't have the ability to hold an, a show on his own for half an hour and he may of course need an offsider like you and I uh, so there's an opportunity for us to do some more television uh, but in all seriousness uh, we are available no in all seriousness I think he would be a, a very good person to potentially hear more from because I do think he has a balance what about this episode do, do, do you ever, ever watch footy classified I have I find it hard he's good on that I do like him on that. I, as I said, I like him everywhere he goes. I think he's he's very well balanced, but I do find watching that program particularly difficult. It's theatre, that show, and they do it on purpose. <laughs> it's pretty poor theatre, let me tell you. I think it's good. If they brought in a couple of uh, daggers and a little bit of a Game of Thrones influence. <laughs> Did you... We should have a mandatory quick Game of Thrones uh, impression here. I can tell you I watched one episode of, let's just say, Season 8. If this was just Season 9, am I correct? I've, no, I've never watched a second of Game of Thrones. You've never so watched I, don't, a second. I don't know. Well, this will be the best Game of Nate, Thrones discussion know? of all time. So I think I watched one episode of, I think, season eight, and then I've come in and I've watched the third last episode where I watched a very tall woman, a woman have uh, intercourse with a man with one hand. Nice. Uh, with a like a prosthetic metal hand, and that sort of disturbed me a little bit because I just walked in Whenever on that. Everyone deserves to be loved. Oh, absolutely. I thought it was good, but I wasn't ready for that. Sure. So I didn't know what was to be uh, expected of Game of Thrones, but after seeing that, I was, I was very clear uh, as to what would probably happen next. And then I watched the final episode. And they're the only episodes you've they're ever watched. The only watched episodes I've watched. How, well, how did you know what was going on? Oh, let me tell you, you only have to watch two minutes to understand exactly what's going on. So, who does your partner watch it, or do your kids watch it? Like, why were you? Lots of people I know watch it. I sat. One of my sons is absolutely addicted to it. I watched it just a bit of buzz, buzz hype. You know, it sort of infected me, and I got a little bit Game of Thronish. And I wanted just to see what was going to happen in this final Were you episode. Annoyed? Was it Archie or Oscar? Oscar, my oldest was, son. Was he annoyed? That you, like, he probably just wanted to People watch it. People do seem to get rather annoyed yeah, when, you, when you, were, you jump in. I wasn't asking questions. Were you just, were you, what do you mean? Were you asking questions? Not at all. I sat there in silence. You didn't ask one question the whole episode. I didn't need to. Okay. Well, that would have been annoying if you John asked questions. Snow, John Snow stabbed. Spoiler alert. Well, most people have seen it by now, but he stabs... The uh, the little blondie, the queen, 
I could see that coming a mile away. The okay. dragon flies in. Obviously, the blondie and the dragon have a little bit of a thing going on. The dragon melts the throne in an outburst of incredibly heated breath. You probably haven't seen that since you had some really hot tamale sauce on your nachos. I remember from Shrek, the dragon well, does yeah. that. And um, essentially, it, Jon Snow is you know, cast out to the equivalent of you know, Craggy Burn for the rest of his life. And so it's... What's wrong with Craigie Burn? Well, it's just a tough place to, to be cast aside to. Goodness me. Well, Carum Downs. Sorry to anyone listening from Craigie well, Burn we don't have any Downs. <laughs> we don't have any listeners there. Well, All our know. listeners are within 10 feet of this studio That's as it's true. recorded. That's true. Uh, so you don't have any inside Game of Thrones, nothing at all. Wasn't spoken about at the age. I had to write a. <laughs> you wrote something about yeah, it. Yeah, but it didn't. Requ- this is no, 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 no. ridiculous. It didn't require me knowing <laughs> anything about it. It was just gathering reaction to the final episode. And what reactions did you get? Well, some people thought it was good. Some people thought it was bad. And what was the percentage? I think it was mostly good. Mostly good because yeah. I've heard nothing but bad things. People oh. getting very, very upset. At well, the look, maybe I maybe I looked for the positive responses more than the negative ones, but I definitely saw more positive. All I can say is not one car car chase, not one, not one sort of uh, handgun battle. Mm. It's highly disappointing. Is that what you need in a movie or a TV <laughs> show? Is it? Have you watched oh. Sopranos? I oh, no, I can't get into that. I got into American Gods. Have you watched that? What the hell is that? Oh, well, see, that's the thing. You turn your nose up straight this, away. No, but, like... You turn your American nose up American Gods. Away. Nath, have you heard of that? American God. No, he had... Like, what is American Gods? He's still coming back from Coachella. He's There's still not, not many things. He's still not so all in, with on us. This, like, we usually will bring up pop culture references, yeah. and usually at least one of us will have heard of it. American Gods. That if you're is listening just... to Big Fish Little Pond, which you can find on iTunes, Spotify, rate, review us, please. Get on board. Tell your friends. Please look up American Gods. It's well worth the look. You'll, you'll enjoy it. Speaking of gods, I don't have a segue. Tom Boyd. Well, he's a god to people in the western suburbs, I well, think. That's true. Well played. So, tell, tell me about that. He retired at the age of 23... Last week, could you see it coming? Due to ongoing physical and mental stresses, did you see it coming? Uh, I'd heard that in the off season of not this year, the one before, I'd heard from some people that it was really quite dire, and he was really, really, really struggling. But I did not expect him to retire at this point. No so age. no, I couldn't see it coming. Is okay. the answer. I could. But then I wasn't surprised when it, when I heard it. Like I was, yeah. but then it wasn't. It's kind of like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Why did it make sense to you? Or well, one, he's had a he's had that back issue for quite a while. Now just run us through that back issue because there are people who are going to be saying that this is purely a mental health decision. What's the back issue? Well, he's got a back injury. I'm not sure exactly what injury it is, but what I do know is that people at the dogs think that it's this debilitating because he because it was managed poorly while he was at GWS. That's what people at the dogs say. I feel really, really sorry for Tom Boyd 
because I don't think he ever received the coaching as a junior that he deserved, that any young player deserves. Uh, a very well-respected Australian basketball coach, Guy Malloy, once said to me, the best coaches should be working with younger people, with kids. And I think Tom Boyd, Shaqy, McCartan, these sorts of players not only weren't taught enough about themselves on the field, but also off the field. And they became a victim of their own size and strength. Play it full forward, nudge someone over the ball, take a mark, go back, kick a goal, kick your three or four for the game, five or six on a good week, and get a pat on the back, you're going well. But unfortunately, that doesn't translate to the big leagues where you're playing on much better players who aren't just going to let you nudge them under the ball and you just go back and take a mark. Your size and your shape is also found out when you're playing with the big boys. And also the mental stresses that are associated with the game are obviously very, very different at the highest level. And I just feel like that these young players, along with countless others, have just not been given the right guidance from the get-go. But some make it despite that. Name one player in the last 10 years who essentially is a bump-and-catch player who's made it. Tom Hawkins? Has he redeveloped and refined and grown as a player? Yes, but he did that at his club. I agree with that. But you think he was solely a bump-and-catch player? I think when he started, he yeah, it's a, it's he, a good he example. Was. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to argue it with you because I can I can picture it. I can picture it. Yeah, yeah. No, but you have to be a runner. I can picture it. You have to be a runner as well. But we don't know the background behind the Tom. Haw- well, I don't know the background behind a Tom Hawkins. What he was receiving off the field or from somebody else. I do have intimate knowledge around Boyd and Shaqy and McCartan because I was part of a coaching space that was looking upon those players as juniors, at least as they moved through the AFL carnivals, uh, 16 and 18. So it's an, it's an interesting point you raise. Is there anyone else that springs to mind? Or is Tom Hawkins an outlier? What, so what do you mean by bump and catch Just player? somebody who was 95 kilos and 6 foot 4 or 6 foot 5 when everyone else was 6 foot 2 and and 85 kilos and just had the ability to use their body at full forward and take a mark. It's nothing new. These players have been around for a long time and they exist in all sorts of sports, whether it's basketball, football, rugby, someone who's potentially bigger and stronger at those junior spaces, those uh, younger years, and then they really don't get the well-rounded growth that you need to compete at the next level. And I think it's... Because they're told to just focus on a narrow range of skills that they're good at. Yeah, and they often become the focus of a coach who's trying to promote himself and says, you know what, I won't develop this young man by playing him on a halfback flank or at full back or wherever it happens to be. I'll keep him at full forward because he's a lock to keep me at least three goals a game and that will see my team win therefore I get kudos if you're coaching young players you want to see them develop into well-rounded young Mm. players you think about the number of young men I don't know if it exists in the in the women's AFL space but the number of young men who want to be midfielders common sense says that there ain't enough space for everyone to be a midfielder so to have a coach look at a young player, and, and an example that springs to mind for me is Tommy Cole, 
the West Coast Eagles. Mm-hmm. Now, he consistently wanted to push into the midfield when I was involved with him in, as part of the Vic Country space. And I consistently asked for him to be pulled back into the back pocket because I don't think he's good enough to play in the midfield. I don't think he's the right makeup for someone to play in the midfield. But you know what? How can you knock back a 10-year career yeah. playing in the back pocket, which isn't the back pocket of 1995 or 1975? The back pocket might as well just be called the midfield anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just a limited midfield. Yeah. So trying to teach these players to be more well-rounded, have different life experiences, uh, have that balance between their football and uh, their real-world uh, pursuits is something that I think really falls back on that junior system. And, and I think often the bigger players are uh, somewhat betrayed by that system and the people trying to feather their own nest rather than build young lives. So you saw Boyd only be played at full forward in, his, in that time as a junior? That's all I saw. Now, I could be completely wrong. No, well, yeah, no, that, if that's what you saw, that's what you saw. And maybe because he, he played his best football, which was the preliminary final and the grand final. It was great in the ruck. In 2016, yeah, as a ruck forward. So maybe he would have he been better off if, as a junior, he did get that chance. But he looked, in that grand final series, he looked quite mobile. Yeah. He looked very energetic. He took a series of, I think, very, very good marks. He did. In fact, he took one from memory uh, early on in the first quarter, and I thought, well, you know what? That is kind of a, uh, a statement for where today could go for you if you continue to attack the ball that way. And to his credit, he did. Mm. So it's a great shame that he has stepped away from the game. Is there any chance that he takes a couple of years away and comes back? Or do you think he's done? It could be. I think... I just want to say it's a shame that he stepped away, but I also think it's a positive that he recognised that he would be better off outside of that space. That's positive. That's that's a negative on. I mean, it's a negative in in many ways, but for me, it's also a positive because obviously, if this career was not right for him for whatever reason for his mental space, it's. It would almost be worth it with the money that he was on. A lot of people would argue it would be worth it just to push on and get five more years out of yourself, get the money, and then when you're 28, then deal with it. But to do it at 23 prematurely, I think is pretty courageous. As we record this podcast at the age uh, building... In the CBD of Melbourne, we're surrounded by corporate spaces which we know are completely and utterly brimming with people who are just hanging on for paychecks for another year. They're desperately unhappy. Uh, They don't like the systems. They don't like their boss. They don't like what they do. Uh, It does take a lot of courage to go with not only a heart, but with a real gut check about what's Mm. important and right for you. And you have to be careful what you wish for, whether that's going to work for KPMG or in the AFL or some other institution in between. You have to be very, very careful of what you wish for. And again, full circle to what I was saying, these are some of the areas of life that young athletes need, not just AFL footballers, need to be made aware of that it is a brutal world and it honestly does not give a shit about you at all. So Tom Boyd, he made a great decision for himself, for his family, for his, you you mentioned age of 28, he made a great decision for the age of 38, Mm. 48, 58. And football is not for everyone. 
And I'll touch on another Western Bulldog here. Now, what I'm about to say, I'm going to make it very clear to our listeners. I do not know if this is fact. And I do not know, Mr. Colangelo, if you can back me up on any of this, if you have heard of any of this. But I'll bring up a name and I'll see if it even rings a bell for you. Craig Ellis. Rings a bell. Craig Ellis played for the Western Bulldogs back in the 90s. Six foot three, uh, very good physique, decent athlete, good footballer, incredibly good looking guy. Like he's just he's just the whole all round AFL football package. But to be quite honest, he he never seemed, at least from an outsider, to fit into that football space. Mm. And his football, whether he played twenty games. 60 games, 100 games, I don't know without trying to lurch into my phone right now. And there's no need to because the number of games he played is irrelevant. I'm just talking as a former peer and an outsider. When I looked at him playing football, I never got the connection that he was a footballer. But he he soldiered on for a period of time. Now, he's left football and, I'm told, is now worth $500 million. Great now, I don't, you've gone straight for I your I want to get him on the podcast. Because you want to see if this is fact or fiction. I don't know if this is fact or fiction, but I've been told by a few different people that he is worth a huge amount of money. Make sure you look up the right Craig Ellis. It mightn't be the right Craig Ellis. But Played for the doggies in Melbourne? Yep, correct. So you've got the right man. Now, I've been told that he is worth an incredible amount of money and he's had an incredible post-football career pursuing spaces and ideas and creativity that he probably would never have been able to show if he went on to play 200 or 250 games of AFL football. So I find it really, really interesting. What have you got there? So we've got you've pulled something up. What have you got? From trying to find what date. There's no date on this article. It was actually written by one of my colleagues here at The Age, Larissa Ham, but it's not from The Age. But the headline is uh, from $500 in the bank to $45 million turnover in three years. So it's not quite $500 million, but I was told that he invested in Bitcoin and the like. I did hear that he only had $500 in the bank. But even if you extrapolate 500 to 45 million, he's doing rather well. So they own the swimwear brand called Triangle. Uh, so there you go. But isn't that interesting? So Tom Boyd, how do we know uh, what's right or wrong for Tom Boyd? We don't, only Tom Boyd does. And as they say, one door closes, another door opens, and there's Craig Ellis. Unfortunately, he's split with his partner, it seems, but... Well, now you've got into it. You're going into the depths of tabloid journalism there. And Big Fish Little Pond does have some standards, albeit that him? Uh, light standards. Yes, that is him. That is Craig Ellis. For those people wanting to do a little bit of research, grab your phone, type in Craig Ellis, E-L-L-I-S, and you will be able to research a man who left AFL football and found all sorts of success. And he's not the only one. People obviously jump from one sport, one space into another and find different levels of success. And certainly we'd hope that Tom Boyd is able to do that. Says he lives in Monaco. Well, that's quite a step up from Melbourne, isn't it? Uh, Tax haven. You'll be heading there soon. No, I don't mind Melbourne. Well, Melbourne's great, but I think a day or two in Monaco or Monaco. Let's Do you say Monaco? Let's get him on the okay. podcast. Let's Do you think he'll come on the podcast? Why wouldn't he? Do you think he could sponsor the podcast? Did you play against him? Played against him, gave him a bath many a time. Oh, well, then he'll definitely come on. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And maybe he's got some swimwear for us too. You look good. Oh, in and he piece. also started Saint Lenny, a clothing brand, Saint Lenny. Yeah, there you go. Do you know? Have you heard of that? I have heard of that. Oh, there you go. Glenn's heard of it. Must be trendy. Oh my god, it's <laughs> actually I think defunct now in 2019. Oh well, that's yeah. That, that's, uh, Speaking that's of poetic, defunct, I think this podcast has now run its race. If Glenn you are is listening to Big Fish Little Pond, you'll find us on Spotify. You'll find us on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, please allow us to continue doing what we do with or without the help of Mr. Craig Ellis, whose sponsorship we so desperately, desperately need. Any final thoughts, Mr. Colangelo? Come on the podcast, Craig Ellis. And with that said and done, brilliant journalism from the journalist extraordinaire, I bid you adieu.